2: And today is the 19th day of May 2021, we're going to be continuing on with Part 2 of Holy Priesthood Chapter, or Holy Priesthood Volume 4, Chapter 15, uh, starting on page 200. The text to what we're going to be reading tonight is on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash lazurus 1977 And the uh, guest caller number is 917-889-8827. To unmute your mic after the reading, push one, and we will see it on the studio, and we will unmute your mic from the studio. Um, And also, the chat room is open at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentallymormon. All right, Kim, I'm almost Amherst County, so it's going to break up here in this little void.
3: Okay. Sounds good. So
2: Okay. I'll mute myself.
3: Okay. Starting out with personal revelations on plural marriage were also received by individuals such as Abraham Hunsaker. Um, when the law of celestial marriage was first oh. whispered to him oh. Yeah.
2: It's got dedicated.
3: Oh. Are you doing that or am I? I cannot hear him.
2: <laughs> okay, first we dedicate, then we educate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll let you dedicate the program tonight. Thank you.
3: Okay, you're welcome. Our Father in heaven, we come before thee on this beautiful evening and give thee thanks. For all thy many blessings that surround us We're thankful for the time that we have now To spend learning of thee We are thankful for thy knowledge and wisdom For the abilities that thou hast given us To be able to learn and take all of this in That thou hast made for us and created for us We ask Thee, Father, to have Thy Spirit to be with us this night and help to watch over us and to understand what it is that Thou would have us learn today, help lead us to the places where Thou would have us be, and watch over us with Thy Holy Spirit and be with us always. These things we pray in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, amen amen okay okay so sorry we'll read this part again personal revelations on plural marriage were also received by individuals such as abraham hunsicker when the law of celestial marriage was first whispered to him he opposed it exclaiming it is of the devil but god knew his heart and in open day a messenger from heaven with three women clothed in white raiment stood before him several feet from the ground and addressed him thus, You never can receive a full and complete salvation in my kingdom unless your garments are pure and white and you have three counselors like me. Thus he was convinced that the principle was right, and he subsequently married five wives, and he became the father of 50 children. Uh, From Jensen's Biographical Encyclopedia, uh, Volume 3, page 415. 1844, opposition to the law of plural marriage increased as well as the persecutions of Joseph Smith, conspiracies plotting his death were no secret to him. It says in the contributor, volume 5, page 259, quote, they accuse me of polygamy and of being a false prophet and many other things which I do not now remember. But I am no false prophet. I am no imposter. I have had no dark revelations. I have had no revelations from the devil." I made no revelations. I have got nothing up up of myself. The same God that has thus far dictated me and directed me and strengthened me in this work gave me this revelation and commandment on celestial and plural marriage. And the same God commanded me to obey it. He said to me that unless I accepted it and introduced it and practiced it, I together with my people would be damned and cut off from this time henceforth. And they say, if I do so, they will kill me. Oh, what shall I do? If I do not practice it, I shall be damned with my people. If I do teach it and practice it and urge it, they say they will kill me. And I know they will. But, said he, we have got to observe it. It is eternal principle and was given by way of commandment and not by way of instruction. End quote. Contributor 5, volume 5, page 259. And then it says in June, he was killed. So I don't know if that is insinuating that he was killed because he did not live polygamy or he was killed because he did live polygamy or something, but I know it's an insinuation um, of what was said there. And when he's talking about um, they will kill me, um, that isn't the angels that he's talking about. That's, talking about the government and people around him, that they will kill him if he lives it. So, yeah. Um, we're on page 201.
2: Well, God, I'm just climbing horseshoe here, so I don't know if you can hear me or not.
3: I can hear you, yeah.
2: Okay, so um, God took the prophet off the earth at the end of three and a half years after the revelation given... Um, ...January of 1841, where he was commanded to build a temple under the Most High... ...for by the Father to come to other in that he might restore the fullness of that which was lost... ...or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. Lyman White, he said, surely before the death of Joseph Smith... ...that they knew that the church had been rejected, and in that same revelation that was given January of 1841, that Jesus told him, if you don't do what I tell you to do, you'll be rejected as a church with your dead. So God took or allowed the prophet to be taken off the earth. Like, so for myself, I, my nickname is, one of my nicknames is Lazarus. And it's not because I've died and come back. It's because I can't die until it's time for me to die. I have been shot at four times felt the wind of bullets on my face. Been stabbed, blown up, poisoned, hung and a whole bunch of other things. I should be dead. But God doesn't allow me to die because it's not my time and I have a mission. Joseph Smith was allowed to be taken because it was his time or it was there was no reason for him to stay after the church had been rejected. The people were disobedient to God's commandments and God rejected and that's all found in section one twenty four. of the um,
3: Doctrine can you, and you repeat that so, last part? Can you repeat that last part really quick? Because you just just the last few uh, words you said were cut off.
2: Well, Jesus said, If you don't do what I say you'll be rejected as a church with your dead. What yeah. he told them to do was to build a temple whereby Jesus said, build a temple in my name, in the name of Jesus Christ, and build a temple unto the Most High that he, not Jesus, speaking of the Father, the Most High, can come to other that he might restore that which is lost unto you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. Now there's this false doctrine going around that Jesus took the Melchizedek priesthood off the earth. But Jesus is talking about building a temple unto the Father, not himself. He says, build it in my name, not in the name of Joseph Smith, but in the name of Jesus Christ, and uh, build it for the Most High to come dwell therein, that he might restore that which was lost unto you, for that which was taken away even the fullness of the priesthood. And I'm quoting verses 27 and 28. Now, in order for you to come into the presence of the Father, you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood. So he didn't take the Melchizedek priesthood from them. In order to have the Father restore anything, or for anybody to come into the presence of the Father, they had to have the Melchizedek priesthood. So this false doctrine that's going around that Jesus took the Melchizedek priesthood is a lie. The only way you get the fullness of the priesthood is by first having it ordained upon you by somebody who has had it given to them correctly. And once you do that, after a time, when you have proven yourself, you will have the Father himself come and restore the fullness of the priesthood to you individually. Now, God the Father wanted to restore that to the whole church for the redemption of Zion. And it needed to have a temple, there needed to be a temple for that that to happen, for him to do it in mass among the saints. But they didn't do it. He never came to the temple. Jesus never came to the temple. No angel ever came to the temple. The Shekinah glory that came upon the tabernacle in the wilderness with Moses and also in the Kirtland Temple in the 1830s, that didn't happen in Nauvoo and it never happened after that. Because the church was rejected with their dead for disobedience. Jesus said, if you do what I say, I will fight your battles for you, and you shall not be removed from your place. But they were removed from their place. Jesus said, if you don't do what I say, instead of blessings, you'll receive cursings. And that's exactly what we see in history. They received cursings. They were cast out of the cornerstone of Zion. They were uh, led into the wilderness. And they were rejected. So like Jesus, or not Jesus, Joseph Smith, there was no reason for him to stick around anymore. God allowed him to die because he was taking him home. It wasn't because they weren't living polygamy. It was because they were being disobedient disobedient as a whole to all of the commandments of God. Treating the words of God lightly which includes the old testament because Jesus says in 1832 the former revelations he was speaking of the old testament laws also the new laws that they were given in the doctrine and covenants and in the second witness of Jesus Christ was the sick of Ephraim in the hand of or the stick of Joseph in the hand of Ephraim which is the book of Mormon which is talked about in Ezekiel chapter 37 so yeah, there was a time. Oh, and the other thing, okay, before I, before I mute myself, Jesus said all they who hinder this work, speaking of building the temple, will be, will be cursed to the third and fourth generation. They hindered the work because the workers were going up to Wisconsin and, and sending down timbers from Wisconsin on the Mississippi for the building of the temple. That's what that wood was for. Brigham Young was building the second wing of his mansion. They built a Masonic temple, not the temple of God, but a Masonic temple. They did all these other things that they weren't supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be building the temple of God. But three and a half years after the revelation was given, they were just starting the first part of the second story of that temple. It was never finished. And in that way, they hindered the work of God by doing what they wanted to do instead of what God wanted them to do. And I've heard excuses where they were like, well, they had to dream the marsh and the bog to build the city. Well, the temple was built upon the bluff. They could have built the city upon the bluff. They didn't have to do all that they did, but they had different priorities than what God had commanded them to do. And in that way, they hindered the work and were cursed to the third and fourth generation." One generation of of Moses in the wilderness with the Israelites was 40 years. Four generations was 160 years. 160 years from the time that the prophecy was given in 1841 was 2001. And by the time Joseph was taken in 2004, you go out 160 years, that would be 2004. What's interesting is that God did give the fullness of the priesthood to a prophet on the earth who was an eyewitness of him, and that was myself in 2003 when the Father caught me up before him face to face and laid his physical hands upon my physical head, filled me up into eternal life, which is talked about in my patriarchal blessing, and, uh, and it was given to me. And the curse was taken and the new dispensation started which Joseph Smith said, Elijah must come again in a new dispensation. So this whole idea that the the dispensation he started, that was the last of the major dispensation. But there's dispensations within dispensations, and the millennium's a dispensation. So you can't say that 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 time was the last dispensation, because the millennium's a dispensation. Anyway, I'm going to mute myself. And uh, I'm going up the hill towards Huntington, so it is what it is. Love you. Okay. <laughs> um, you right. can tell them, know. like Kim, as a witness. You are a witness as well. You know, you like when got before we got married, before we even knew that it was time, uh, that we were going to be married. You could tell them that story to be another witness because you are a witness. That what I'm saying is true. I wish Joshua was here because he actually saw the father lay his hands upon my head. But it seems like everybody except for you has been attacked to the point where they've all fallen away. Everybody that God has sent me to help out with this, they've all fallen away. You're the only one that has stuck stuck around. So maybe you could tell uh-huh. them about
3: that. Okay, um I don't want to interrupt you so I was waiting for you to finish talking. Um, so yeah, when when we first got together, so I was um praying and on my knees and pleading with God and and um talking with him about um things that I had been reading in scripture. Um I was doing my scripture study every day working um teaching uh full time. And I was trying to um, you know i was I had my kids in going to church every Sunday. I would go to all my release society activities. we were forty five minutes away from um our ward at that time, so I was doing all this single moming it and uh trying to you know do everything that God had commanded me and I was reading my scriptures every day I would bring them to work with me read' them, um in my during my break time and um I would um, pray um, fervently. I was always um, very close to God in prayer, and uh, I was trying to be closer to God and and do all the things that he had commanded me. And so in the scriptures that I was reading, I was, um, you know, questioning different things that i had read and um kind of like that to whom it may concern that comes at the end uh, after dnc i was like what is that all about that's not even that's not even close to anything that like we had ever gotten before i don't even understand that like it doesn't even look like revelation it looks like something a king would post like a proclamation to the world you know what i mean so um yeah so that was i was really just
2: and you're talking um, about the manifesto yeah, the
3: manifesto at the end of the, the get That away
2: with polygamy.
3: Yeah. So I was, like, reading about all of this stuff, and, um, you know, scriptures. Uh, I had finished the Book of Mormon again for the I don't even know how many times. And then I had um, been reading DNC, which is my favorite. I love DNC. Anyways, um, and then I was told by my bishop, because I was uh, really closed uh, off to even talking with men at that time because I had had so many bad experiences with men um, in my life whether it was my biological father stepfather uh, boyfriend you know fiance's I've had four of those and um, and then ex husband so I've had a lot of uh, really bad experiences and and I was just so done with men that I you know was really closed off so when they would talk to me or say anything I would just be really short with them and walk away and um so my bishop realized that about me at the time and he you know had told me that i should um get on to like lds singles i should get on to a a dating site and just talk to men just talk to them if i just talk to them for one month then he would not tell me he would not you know try to talk to me about it again and i was like okay fine So I got onto LDS Singles, and they were having a, you know, do one month, get two free. So I was like, okay, fine, three months, I can do this. So I would get on there at night. After work, I would, um, you know, message people and try to be all nice, uh, listen to people on the message boards. And then I did not have a lot of time because after that I would have to get, um, you know, kids' things ready, get clothes ready, get their lunches made for the next day. I would – uh, I used to run an hour a night on the elliptical. So I on the treadmill, I mean, and um time in my life, I just didn't have time for anything because that I seems to be my my overall thing actually is I don't ever have time. But um so I was busy and I gave um, I think it was five different men at the time um, my phone number and so I would text them well, I was jogging or running, and then that was me trying to, like, put forth the effort to talk to men and not be mean and be nice. Um, So at the time, I did meet Mark. He was on the sister site to that, um, LDS Mingles, but for some reason, even though he had a a free membership for life because he was one of the originals on there, for some reason, he felt the need to get onto the sister site, LDS Mingles, and he paid for a prescription on or a subscription on that so um i met him and on there and gave him my number and we would text back and forth a little neither one of us was um interested in meeting somebody really it wasn't a long-term thing my goal was simply okay do what the bishop said and follow the directions and i did that and then his was he was always teaching people like he does now He always has been, you know, he talks about religion all the time. He talks about scriptures. At that time, he was not so much very um, fundamentalist Mormon. He was um, more Brighamite or mainstream. And he was still learning as he is now. Anyway, so he, um, I was at that time, uh, this certain night, I was on my knees and I was crying. I was praying to God and And um, my ex had gotten out of um, prison or jail where he was, and it scared me. He um, got out, and I was afraid. But I found out he was engaged or getting married to my best friend. And so then I was like, okay. And I I thought, you know, and I was praying with God, and I was like, why can men hurt all these women? They're so abusive, and they're so mean. Why can they hurt all of these women? And then they just... You know, go on, happy-go-lucky, like, everything's fine. They're gonna, he's going to go and ruin some other woman's life, and nothing is done about it. And I was, you know, upset. I was like, God, why aren't you doing something about this? He is going to hurt somebody else. You know what I mean? So, anyways, that, I was praying about that. And then I also was asking about, um, you know, the scriptures that I was reading. It says in the scriptures, if I do these things that you have commanded, then I am going to have happiness, you know? This is the plan of happiness, and I am not happy. Um, I'm doing all the things that you ask me to do. I try to go above and beyond, and I want to know, um, you know, why it is that um, I am not happy, why these things. I know that he can reveal the truth of all things. It doesn't say some things. It says he will reveal the truth of all things to you. So it's not only when he feels like this or only if you are, purple or only on Wednesdays or something. It's not, it doesn't say that. It says all things. He will reveal the truth of all things. And I know that. So when I was praying to him, I wanted to know those things. And I also wanted to know what is up with that to whom it may concern. What is up with the manifesto at the end of the scriptures? What even is that? That doesn't even look like revelation. So I asked about that. And then I said, I want to know who my eternal companion is. And I want him sent to me and so after i had calmed down and stopped crying um i had gotten up go back out to go do my normal routine and then it was a couple hours later mark called me for the first time he just called me out of the blue we weren't even texting and then he said um i just felt like um i needed to call you and i was like okay and i just listened and then he just started answering all of the questions I had asked in that prayer. I didn't ask him. I didn't even tell him about the prayer. I was like, there's this guy who is calling me who I don't even know. And at this time, I'm still very short with men. I'm like, okay, that's nice. Thanks. Goodbye. You know, that's who I, I was like, yeah, you're not hurting me. I'm not letting anybody get close enough to get hurt. Like, it's not happening. So, yeah, I, I was like, I don't know. I was just like done. Anyway, so he called on the phone and he started randomly answering all of these questions that I had had. Um, and I was I was just sitting there listening to him um, and not even asking, or I didn't even prompt him. And he was answering like he does right now on these radio shows. We go on tangents. We have no idea why. And then we get these messages later saying, I was asking about that. And I just needed to know so bad, and thank you so much for all that you said. And um, and even when we go to visit people, we went to a, a village inn even to eat, and then randomly had a conversation with a waitress who was not even our waitress, and um, she was really interested, and she was, like, following us out the door as we were paying for the check, and he was answering all these questions she had. So he just does that randomly. He just follows the spirit and and answers these questions that people have. Anyways, so um, it was the same at this time. And at the end of, like, after he had answered all the questions that I had, you know, had said in the prayer, and he was coming up to a point um, where he just decided he was going to tell me about his experience with seeing God the Father and his experience with... um, being taken up to uh the temple and um having uh the keys um put on or given to him by God. Like, you know, hugging him. He was talking to me about the white flowers, about the stream that he washed his feet in. He told me about all of this. And I was the spirit was so strong. It was definitely one of the top um five spiritual most spiritual experiences I have had, um in my lifetime. And, um, I remember feeling like I, the spirit was just burning all through me and I felt like I was glowing. Um, just like I was just glowing and, and just floating above the air. Um, I don't, I don't think I was, I just felt that way. Uh, the fear, the spirit was so strong um, that I could barely breathe. And I told him, okay, thanks. You know, that's nice. And I told him, I don't know who your wife is going to be. Um, But, and I was like, it's not me, but I don't know who your wife is going to be, but I would love to meet her because she's going to be this amazing person. And so I honestly was like, you know, I knew what he was saying was true. I had definitely a confirmation of the spirit. I knew what he was saying was true. And I was just, um, feeling the spirit so strongly. And I just felt like, oh, this is the kind of person I would love to know. And I hope to know whoever it is that he marries, (laughs) and so that's what I told him Um, and then I ended up um, you know saying goodbye to him thank you know thank you and hang up and then after getting off that phone call which was a really long phone call um, because my husband is very (laughs) long-winded I said a prayer again I prayed about it because I wanted confirmation of spirit so I said you know I was like, "Thank you so much for answering my prayers. Um, thank you for all the the understanding, um, the knowledge, and um, and then I said, I said, but this cannot be the guy um, that you're sending to me because I asked for him to be sent to me, and I was like, he wasn't sent. But I am thankful that he called and that he told me all that he did, and um, and I." literally just said, um, I was very literal about it. I was like, "Um, this is not the, uh, I feel like this is not the man that I'm supposed to marry because I asked for him to be sent to me. And then I heard a voice and it's like, I don't hear voices all the time, okay? I don't even hear voices any other time. But I heard a voice after I said the prayer that told me to bear him children and ease his burden. And so then I had to write it down in my notebook, in my journal, because I was like, I am never going to believe myself because that is crazy. People who hear voices are crazy. Right? So, and I am not, I am like the most literal person in the world. I, I always am reasoning things, um, you know, trying to dig deeper for the, for a higher understanding. um, I'm a very logical thinker, so um, I'm a very scientific person, I love science, um, and so when when this happened, I was like, okay, I have to write this down because I'm never going to believe myself, like, this is ridiculous, and so I was also like, I am not going to tell this man that I don't even know that I'm supposed to marry him and have children for him, like, that is ridiculous, I don't even know this man, so... Um, He didn't call me for three days, and I didn't hear anything from him because, actually, he was at a pool party when he called me. He got out of the pool, grabbed his phone, all wet, and he called me because that's what he just felt the spirit really strongly, and he felt like he needed to call me, so he did. And he actually broke the screen on his phone. It wouldn't work for three days. I guess it had to dry out. And after it dried out, um, he was able to call me again, so then he called me. And we talked, um, we, at that point had exchanged so that we could Skype each other. So we could talk like, you know, on video or, you know, talking to each other. So we did that. Um, I think we did that for a couple of nights or something, but then I, one night I was like, this guy's going to think I'm a lunatic. And honestly, part of me was hoping that he did and ran away because that's, you know still my I was afraid I mean, I trust God, but I did not want any other man hurting me, controlling me or trying to hurt my children i I'm so I still' am, I'm so over men who do that, like I'm sick and tired of controlling people, controlling people too It doesn't even have to just be men because women can be controlling too, and it drives me nuts, but anyways, so I on this next Skype call that we had had, I told him I said i God told me to bear you children and ease your burden. And so I expected him, yeah?
2: Yeah. My phone was wet, so it wasn't working, but it dried out after three days.
3: Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, you're breaking up. You're breaking up a lot. (laughs) Okay. I think you're only getting half the story because I said that also. Um, Anyways, when I talked to him and told him that, that what God had told me, then he, to my astonishment, said he knows that God told him to marry me as well. And so I was like, okay, like, now what? Like, what do we do? Because I'm obedient. I'm willing to do what God wants me to do. I'm like, okay, let's do this. This is what we're supposed to do. Um, So I was teaching at the time, but I get the summer off. So I um, told him that I would be going down to my family's um, house in North Carolina for the summer. And if he wanted to, he could meet me there. Because at this time, I was living in New Hampshire, and he was living down in Florida. So we weren't even close to each other, you know. We were far away, so I, um, I, he said, okay, that, that's what he was going to do. And I was like, okay, so he took work off for, was it a week or two weeks? I can't remember. He took work off, and um, my grandfather was going to help me to drive from New Hampshire down to North Carolina. It's like a 21 to 23-hour drive or something like that, and I was going to do that in a minivan with two kids by myself. So um, he, my grandfather, um, said that he w- he wanted to come down and see, you know, my sisters and brothers and everything down in North Carolina. So he said he wanted to come with me. I said, great. And so he was going to help me drive. I was like, good, sounds great. But the night, the day before, not the night, but the day before I was supposed to drive down, or it was two days. It was like two days before I was supposed to drive down, I, my grandfather had something come up and he couldn't drive down. And so I was like, ugh. I don't know if I can do 23 hours with two kids or 21 hours with two kids all the way to North Carolina by myself. Um, And I didn't, I just didn't really want to. I didn't like to do trips on my own. But I called Mark and I let him know what happened. And he said, okay, that's fine. I will get a plane ticket and I will come up to you and I will help you drive down. And I was like, okay, I guess that would be the whole he's being sent to me thing. So he bought a one-way plane ticket. I picked him up in Burlington, Vermont, and he got off the plane and, to meet us. It was like literally he got the plane ticket and came up like the next day. And, um, you know, and he had the weeks off for work. But So he flew up there. He hates planes. He's definitely afraid. He's had several experiences where things went awry in a plane, even where everything – um had shut off in a an airplane and they were gonna crash into the ocean and then all of a sudden all the lights and everything came back on like I that was in a c-130 over the
2: sea that was in a c-130 <laughs> over the sea of japan
3: yeah i could hear you that time the second time you said it so he does not like airplanes there it scares him um but he did this because he knew he was supposed to he um, he actually told me after the fact that um, when he was in the plane, he was looking down at the shadow on the ground, and it looked a halo, like, around the plane where he was sitting. So that was pretty interesting. He felt like, okay, it's going to be fine. God is going to help me with this. So he got into the airplane and flew up to me, and I picked him up. And honestly, and when was he came out of the yeah, he was shaking, I was shaking really bad the whole time. Yeah, because yeah. he was like, "Oh, it's gonna crash." So um, when he got off the plane, though, um, and I said, "Hey, are you ready for a crash course in parenting?" Because I already had two kids, and he was meeting all of us at the same time. But it honestly felt like we had been doing that for a hundred thousand years, for just like ever. It just it felt so normal and natural. So. We, I asked him if he was hungry. He said yes, um, you know, because the flight from Florida to New Hampshire was pretty long. And um, so I picked I, – uh, we went to a little pizza eatery place kind of place. And um, my son has Asperger's. Um, my daughter has Asperger's and ADHD, so they're they're a little bit difficult. Um, they're tough, you know, to, to not just deal with. I mean, if you say deal with it sounds bad, but they're tough. Um, kids to love, let me tell you. And they're my own, and I love them to death. <laughs> um, but when we got um, there to the pizza place, um, he, you could just tell like right away, he was really easy like the easy goingness of it. I mean, my son was like, here, do you want to taste my drink? And who wants to drink out of some other kid's drink that I, I don't even like to drink out of my kid's drink? But my husband was like, oh, yeah, sure. And he, tasted his apple juice after he had drank, or, you know, Emmett had drank out of it. And I was like, oh, okay. Like he doesn't think my kids are gross or something, which is what I had um, witnessed my whole life with, uh, you know, men, they just uh, did not do well with kids. But um, my husband, Mark, he, when he met the kids, he was really just great with them. Um, he was really good with Liddy. Uh, she was really hyper, but you know, he he was fine with it. Um, it. They didn't stress him out at all. She even, uh, when you were at my apartment, and, the, like, it was it the first night we slept there? You were sleeping on the couch. Um, and she was climbing all over the top of him, and he didn't even wake up. Like, she literally was, like, trying to find a remote or something, and she was, like, climbing on him. And I was like, ah, what are you doing? You're going to wake him up. Stop, you know. And he didn't even wake up. He was, like, sleeping on the couch. Everything was fine. I mean, it was crazy to me. It was so crazy. So, anyways, he met my mother, my sister, and I don't know if he met Daryl. I don't think he came out, uh, but that was my stepfather. Um, Anyways, and he hung out at my house. Uh, We stayed there overnight. I think we left the next day, though, and started driving down. He got to meet my grandfather in New York with my aunt um, there also. And so he got to meet some of my family, which was nice um and we because he's a truck driver he can drive forever like i could not drive as much as he did on that trip it was really great for me actually um we let's see we did an impromptu drive through and drive around the capital uh when we went down through maryland which was kind of funny because um he can be spontaneous so um some people are really stressed out when anybody tries to be spontaneous or if the plans change or um, if everything doesn't go exactly their way or something, um, a lot of times people can get frustrated. But um, when we were on the trip and um, I was like, oh, we should see the Capitol. I used to live over here. Did you know that? And, like, you know, we talked about it. And then he was like, we should go. And then impromptu, he just, like, took the next exit. And then we drove around the Capitol. We have a bunch of blurry pictures somewhere on one of our memory cards. Um, of the Capitol because we were just driving around in circles and taking pictures of like the Lincoln Memorial and, you know, uh, George Washington Monument, um, the Capitol building, everything. And um, it was just totally impromptu and not stressful at all. So that was super nice. Nobody was upset or yelling at anybody, which was interesting to me because even when my family had gone, my stepfather would get so ornery about moving and it would be like so stressful to everybody else because he would be ornery. Anyways, so, um, anyways, we, we did that. We drove, um, we were stuck in New Jersey for a while too. I didn't even talk about that. So when you get on the turnpike, um, and you're in rush hour traffic, that's pretty bad. And it's super stressful when that happens, right? And you're in stop and go. Well, you're not even in go traffic. You're in stop traffic and you're sitting there on the turnpike and you're in a minivan with two kids. are three and six and you know it's not fun for the kids but like that's not even bad enough then your air conditioner goes in your vehicle yes that's what happened in my minivan the ac broke on the way down and we didn't have ac and the kids were you know screaming and like playing around and everything and i was thinking oh my gosh make the kids be quiet help them to stop so that they don't frustrate him so he doesn't get upset because he was driving um, and then he asked me, he said, um, he he was thirsty. He was like, where's the drink? Where's the water? And I'm, like, looking everywhere, like, get him the water before he freaks out because, you know, it's a stressful situation. And I thought he was going to get mad and start screaming at people. But then, like, he, he was like, oh, there it is. He picked it up, and he opens it up by himself, driving with the other hand, even though we were in stop traffic. Uh, it was, like, stop and go at that point, actually. Then he drank the water, put the lid back on, set it down, and I was like, really nervous. I mean, my anxiety had gone through the roof, and I was, like, really nervous, but he didn't say anything about it until we got to the next rest area. We stopped, and we actually were buying some more water um, at the rest area and going to the bathroom. We took the kids to the bathroom, and um, he was, like, okay, I don't know what I did, uh, but I know that something's wrong, and I know that you are really tense, and I was, like, Okay, I'm not upset or anything, and he and I was like, but um, I thought you were going to be super mad and, like, start yelling at us or something, and he was like, okay, why? And, and I explained it to him, so he was trying to learn and understand, you know, how I was at the time because I had always come from abusive relationships, and um, he didn't understand. He was like, okay, that is interesting, but no, I'm not going to scream at you. So um, he was really great with that, very calm in those types of situations. So it was really good. It was a learning experience, all these things that happened. Even when we, we finally made it down to my sister's house, and um, my sister got a phone call. There, So she has five kids. I had two. We were staying at her house. And um, she got a phone call, um, and she had to run outside, and she took the phone call in her van because it was so much commotion. Her husband was out back. And he's an arborist, so he was, like, cutting trees or doing something out back. And um, so Mark and I were in the house uh, with all the kids, and it was getting to be about the time for dinner time. So we had to clean stuff up. And um, when we had to clean stuff up uh, for dinner, you know, and plan a dinner, I was like, okay, I'll give him some of the kids, and I'll take some of the kids. And I think that's what – will do, you know. So hold on one second, I'm just gonna turn on this car so that my battery doesn't die. Um so anyways, what happened was um I just said, here, you take these three kids and I will take these kids and we're gonna go do the laundry in the living room and you do the kitchen in the dining room and he was like, Okay so I just was like, okay, fine, that's great. I'm not going to micromanage him, so I walked away. And then um, I had come back like a half an hour, 45 minutes later or something like that. And um,
0: when I came back in, he
3: was on his hands and knees with a washcloth on the floor in her dining room. And he was explaining to her daughter at the time, who was, I think she was about Emma's age also. So she was about um, five maybe I think she was five and anyways and he was explaining to her how if if you use a washcloth like this on the floor it's how you can get all of the stuff up (laughs) so it's just funny to me I was like okay and he had had you know the whole thing ready and clean so that we could start making dinner and so that was really awesome because I was like okay he works well with kids and he can clean which I know any woman who's listening to this is like heck yeah a guy who cleans, that's a good, that's a good deal right there. (laughs) So um, yeah, so he, he did really well with that. And I was thinking, okay, that's just another kind of like testimony there of the character and who he was and what he was capable of. So then um, the time came when we had to split ways. We were either going to split ways or something else had to happen because he needed to go back down to work and um, his vacation time was up. And so I got the feeling like, Um, I was like, okay, I have a feeling like I can either make the choice that I need to um, go down right now with him and help him to move um, up to where I was because I wasn't going to quit my job. He was going to quit his whole life and uh, move up there to accommodate me and what I was doing because I didn't want to stop teaching. And so, um, yeah, he – what he did (laughs) so we i i told him i was like i feel like what what's going to happen is that um i was given the chance like god sent you to me and now i have the choice that i need to make and the choice is either i um can just let you go down there and if i let you go down then i don't know if Um, I will see you again, or when I will see you again, and I said, so I feel like I, if we're going to do this and get married, that I just need to come down there with you right now and help you to, you know, move up with me, and then he said, okay, well, we'll pray about it and see how we feel, and so I said, all right, and so we prayed about it, and he felt the same spirit. He felt like that was what we needed to do, so. When he, instead of him getting on a, he was going to get on a Greyhound bus and just go back down to um, Florida. And instead, we packed up everything into the van and drove down to Florida. And then um, he gave his boss a, was it a two or a three week notice? He gave him a really long notice and we stayed down in Florida. We got married and um, lived in the apartment that he had, which he had two roommates already there. So he didn't have to like switch a lease over or anything like that. They already had their name on the lease, so he could um, go ahead and leave it to them and move up with me. So he worked. One of the other things that I learned about him, um, this is all really only over a week, a week and a half experience with all this stuff that I've learned about him. So over the next um, week while we he was working, um, he got up every morning. You didn't have to – I didn't have to, like – ask him if he was going to work that day. I didn't have to call his boss and call him sick. He didn't call him sick, even though, you know, if he was sick, he didn't call him sick. He was, he actually weren't sick at that time. You didn't have any problems. But um, even now, that's how he is. He works all the time. So um, it was really great because he would get up, he would make his own lunches, he did his own clothes, he you know, did everything for himself so I didn't have another child that I had to take care of. Um, It was really great having a helpmate, somebody who could help me for once instead of me having to take care of somebody else. So that was um, another thing that I had learned about him. I had learned all of this stuff in such a short period of time, and I could see why that he would be a blessing and rather than a curse to me, um, as all the other men I had ever met were. So I, um, we went down there and he had packed all of his stuff up and um, he had sold stuff. He had left things, cleaned everything up. And then um, we went, we moved back up to New Hampshire. We did stop in North Carolina again and he helped my brother-in-law with some work cutting down trees while he was there and made a little bit more money um, before we went all the way up. And actually when that happened, I went to a meeting with my sister. So it's, called SA. It's kind of like AA, but not really. It's for a different um, group of people. Anyways, and so we went to SA and um, we had like this girls' day. But when you walk in to this meeting, you had to put all your cell phones into a basket. Nobody was allowed to have their cell phone. So if anybody called, husbands or whatever, that it was like, oh, well, too bad, and you can't answer it. Well, that made me super nervous because I had just married him. I still didn't know him very well, and I left without letting him know that that's what I was doing. So the kids were going to be um, – they were at the house when they got there um, because uh, she – and my sister Andrea has an older daughter who was uh, helping watch the kids. And then when the guys got home – um. The kids were there, and the guys had to plan dinner. We didn't have dinner ready for them. We didn't have, like, things cleaned up, and the kids were just there without, you know. (laughs) It just made me nervous because I was like, oh, I never – I had never met a guy who said, like, really would just take care of kids. And also, um, after you say I do or after, you know, yeah, just like after you say I do and it's so final, I I just felt like any time that that happens, then – the man would just feel like he has control over me. You know what I mean? So after we had said, I do, I was like, okay, he might change a little because people do, but he didn't, he didn't change. So when I got done with the meeting and they gave me my phone back, which I was like, I have to go call my husband right now. So I walked out on the front porch and I called and I was so nervous because I was thinking, Oh, he's going to get really mad at me. Um, because, you know, I didn't have anything ready for him. I'm not at the house when he got there. He didn't know exactly where I was. And when you're so used to being controlled in every aspect of your life, um, when you're not controlled at all, it's just scary. It's still, you still have that PTSD of, of like worry um, of what is going to happen. You know, what is he going to do to you because of what you did? So that's, my worry. But I called him, and I let him know, hey, Andrea and I are here. This is what we're doing. And he was like, oh, okay. Sounds fun. And he's like, are you having a good time? And I'm like, wait, what? Are you having a good time? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm okay. And I was like, uh, sorry about the kids. And he's like, hey, it's all good. We're fine. He, and I, he said he had a good time working with my brother-in-law. And he said, the kids are great. They're doing fine. And that they had got them dinner, and he was about to go take a shower. And I was like, or he was going to go take a bubble bath, actually. That's what he was going to do. That's funny.
0: Um, And
3: I um, got off the phone with it after having this conversation with him where I was, like, so afraid that he was going to, you know, scream at me and be all mad. Um, It was this really weird conversation to me where it was like a normal conversation with an adult, you know. That was so weird to me. I went back into – was the meeting with all the other women and they were like sitting there eating some little snacks and stuff like that after, you know, just chatting after the meeting. And I walked in and, and Andrea was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I just had the weirdest conversation of my life. And she was like, why? What's the matter? And I was like, nothing's the matter. But I was so terrified I was going to get in so much trouble because I'm not there, like, making his dinner, making sure the kids are all quiet and, like, not in his face or whatever. And it was just, like, the weirdest conversation. And so, like, that right there was just another testimony of, you know, this is going to be okay. God knew what he was doing. God knew who he was putting together. And he understood that. So I had ended up um, learning about, like, his temperament. Um, I learned about what he was capable of, his work ethic, um, the way that he is with children. I learned that he can clean, he can cook. He completely would take care of himself. Actually, when we moved back up to New Hampshire, I had an issue with that because I was like, why did you even marry me? You don't ever I need anything. I don't even do anything for you. And he was like, um, I don't know, like, I don't. I don't know what the question is, you know, because I'm a little bit much sometimes. And I was like, well, let me do your laundry or something. And he was like, okay, if you want to do laundry, you can do laundry. That's fine. I was just like, I feel like you don't need me for anything, and I need to be needed for something so that I feel, like, useful to you. And he was like, okay, I understand. He's also a really quick learner. So when I complained about things, um, when I tell him that this isn't working or something is upsetting me, um, instead of it being a problem and an argument, it's more like, okay, I can try to help you out with that. Let me figure that out. And actually that's how we both are. It's how our relationship works so well. We both serve each other. And so instead of um, being constantly on edge and, like, arguing, we're more like um, ready to help and fix each other's problems. So, so that's um I know that was a whole long story and not what we intended to talk about tonight at all, but that was that's my testimony of who I married and um yeah, and how he is so i I did get confirmation of the spirit I had more than one um confirmation of who I was supposed to be marrying um I did get confirmation that that was. Um, the right person. I did hear a voice that told me to um, bear him children. And then even when I had a little bit of a panic, when we were getting the marriage license, um, he told me, um, I let Mark know that I was having issues. I was like, I can't do this. I don't know why I'm doing this because I was panicked. And I was like, I can't let anybody else control me anymore. I can't do this. And so he said, um, he said, you should just um, say a prayer to God. And let him know whatever your decision is what the decision is you're going to make. And if it's the right decision, ask God to help you so that um, you make the right decision. And so I did that. Um, That prayer was actually so long. He was like, do you want me to hang up or do you want to stay on the phone? And I was like, just stay on the phone with me and I'll just say a prayer. And he said, okay. So I was saying a prayer. It wasn't audible. It was um, quiet um, to myself, to God and after i had said the prayer he was like are you still there and i was like i'm still praying Shh. he was like oh okay so i had finished the prayer right about the time he had arrived at the court, uh, at the um licensing place and um he showed up and the kids were like yay and they jumped out of the car to go see him and then um w- right after that everything was just so calm and i was not nervous or afraid anymore i was feeling Um, happy, and just peaceful. It was like, it was really great. And the whole experience getting the license wasn't even frustrating at all. There was a bunch of people waiting in line because there was people all over for different kinds of licensing. But um, it only took us like maybe five minutes and we were all done and had signed all the paperwork and we left and then we decided to go to the beach. So um, there's a lot of things. Um, And even after then, after we had gotten married, Let's see, so there um, was a time when we, um, so he has had uh, several other spiritual experiences since we have been together, and he has gotten different revelations since we have been together, and I didn't get revelation the same as what he did, and I didn't get contradictory to what he got, but um I never actually prayed about whether or not he is who he says he is or is not who he says he is or, or other. I just was, you know, I know who he is um, me with the kids. I know the kind of person he is. And so I was, I don't know. I was just like, mm, he's great. So if he is or is not who he believes that he is, then he's still great. And I still love him. <laughs> um, and um, you know, even if everybody thinks that he's crazy, that's fine. I know who he is and he isn't crazy to me. So that's great. (laughs) Um, And I, so I did pray about it um, specifically. I prayed about, is he, um, I feel like the wording I said was, is he one mighty and strong? Um, Is he the second witness? And So then right after I said that prayer, I opened up my scriptures so that I could um, start reading. Randomly, I opened it up, and the first scripture I read was, those who trust him need not fear. And I knew, like, the the peace was just spoken to my heart, and I knew that that was the answer that I was looking for. Um, And that was that I do trust him. I do trust God. That's why I married him, and I just trusted God and listened to him and what he told me to do, and so I should not be fearful of um, who he is or, or, you know, what his purpose is in life. Um, I have learned that he may be called to do things, and it is not me being called to do those. So our um, companionship, our marriage, um, our relationship. It doesn't work because we're both the exact. That's not how it works. It works because the things that he is lacking in, I am actually amazing at. <laughs> uh, and if he doesn't disagree, we'll just stick with that. Um, so the things that he isn't great at, then I try to help him out with. And the things that I am lacking, he helps out help me with so, or helps me out with so much. So um, we're more complimentary um, he is definitely, um, I help meet, I am definitely his, um, yeah. So, I don't know if that's exactly what you were thinking about, um, Mark, when we were starting to talk about all of this, and I know that was a lot longer than what you probably bargained for, but, um, that is the most long-winded and accurate statement that I have ever made about my husband. <laughs> um, That's not to say that he doesn't uh, get upset or sad or cry or um, have every emotion that a normal human being has. I actually would say that he's a little bit more um, feeling or what is it called? He is very – he wears his heart on his sleeve, I guess is what it it would be called. So he feels things um, deeply when somebody else hurts another person or when – somebody gets hurt or something happens he is very emotional he cries he's definitely the more emotional of the two of us um I'm very more literal I think um what else that's who he is um and I love him (laughs) and the more that I've I've we've been married nine years it'll be 10 years this summer and Um, I have never made a better decision than to follow God on this one and get married to him. And I don't know. I love him more and more every single year. The more that I have gotten to know him, the more I truly, deeply love him. And not a superficial kind of love. It's a, a deeper love of who he is and of his soul. And, yeah, so that is my testimony, I guess, of, my husband <laughs> and who he is. Um, did you have anything to say about that? I'm pretty sure that was longer than just one uh, page.
2: <laughs> I am just barely getting back down to service. I've been up at Rhino Coal Mine this whole time, and I just heard the last minute of what you were saying. So,
3: Oh, awesome. So then you'll have to go back to listen to all the things that I said.
2: (laughs) Yes, um, I do a screen recording every night so that I can upload it to YouTube, so I will listen to everything, and then I'll I'll upload it to YouTube tonight while I'm driving. It takes hours, hours and hours to do it, but... um, you know, something I can do while I'm driving, so
3: Yeah. Um, so I, just um, I did have all to correct one
2: little thing. Oh yeah. I have to correct one little thing. We will have been married nine years this summer.
3: Oh,
2: I thought it was ten. <laughs> so, she july twentieth, like two
3: thousand
2: Yeah, and I don't know whether that's a good statement or a bad statement, <laughs> but um, we got married July 20th. 2012. Of 2000, yeah. And um, I met you face-to-face 20 days before that on June 30th yeah. when I got off the air. Yeah. So the whole reason why I...
3: Oh, you're breaking up again. The whole why... You're breaking up a lot, so we can only hear every other word. Can you hear me?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm almost to the point where I won't break up anymore.
3: Um, I'm sorry, but we are still not going to make it through this tonight because it is now 9 o'clock. <laughs> and yeah. I did not mean to talk this much. I'm sorry, so I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Is it okay, the if reason try again? <laughs> why,
2: yeah, well, the reason why it kind of triggers me that, oh, he didn't live polygamy, so, so he was taking, no, that wasn't, that was part of it, but that wasn't all of it, and that wasn't the main part of it either. They were told to do a certain thing in building the temple. They didn't do it, and it wasn't Joseph Smith's fault. It was the saint's fault for not listening to him. They treated him lightly as a thing of naught, and they did what they wanted to do instead of what he was telling them God wanted them to do. And so they were rejected. They were rejected. All of them. All of the branches. So, um, can you hear me still?
3: Yes, I can. Really clearly.
2: Okay, so, um, he wasn't. it wasn't because of polygamy solely. It was because The general disobedience of the people, but also because they were told to build that temple so that God, the Father, the Most High, could restore the fullness of the priesthood so that Zion could be redeemed. He cursed them for hindering the work to the fourth generation, and at the end of the fourth generation in 2003, I was caught up to Mount Vashel the the temple of the Father and I saw him face to face he filled me up unto himself which it talks about and that happened in 2003 in my patriarchal blessing in 1997 it said that I have been given the greatest gift that God has to bestow the gift of eternal life and Kim has read that blessing for herself and she can testify that I'm not making things up the other thing, too, in 1990, let me think, 94, it was 94 or 95, I was caught up in the spirit, and Jesus Christ took me to the Salt Lake Temple, and I went to the temple. I was Baptist at the time. I hated Mormons. I was really anti-Mormon because of my experience with the members of the church and different things, but I was Baptist. And I was taken up by Jesus Christ into this temple. And the last room that we went into was the middle tower underneath the angel Moroni. And I went into that room because Jesus took me to that place. And when I went into that middle tower, into the true Holy of Holies of that temple, I was in the presence of the Father. And all of his overwhelming love, and and it was just an amazing experience. And he said to me that I would be the last prophet before the return of his son, Jesus Christ, which threw me through a loophole. I didn't know what to think about the matter. In 96, I broke down and I finally said, God, if you'll show me the truth, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And I asked him if he would heal me too, because I'd gotten into drugs. I wanted to die, and there's a reason for that. I'm not going to get into that right now. But um, I was addicted, and I was about to be homeless again. And um, and when I met the missionaries and I prayed about the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith and asked God if he was a true prophet, the Holy Spirit came down on me like fire. And I was 100% healed in that instant. I've never used it illicit drugs again. I was addicted. I couldn't get off of it. It was ruining my life. But he healed me, and he showed me the truth. And I converted in 96. In 97, I got my patriarchal blessing and my endowments in the Salt Lake Temple because I wanted to see if everything was the same as what I was shown by Jesus Christ in the Spirit years before, and I went on my mission to Macon, Georgia. That was my conversion. That was when I was brought, and that's when I got that patriarchal blessing. So the other thing too that people have to understand: so when we're talking about polygamy, we have to talk about the keys of sealing power. You had to go to somebody who had the sealing power, who had the keys, and it's in the scriptures it says the Lord's anointed. That at that time was Joseph Smith. The other reason you had to go to Joseph Smith is because you had to be sealed up to him through the law of adoption, which Wilfred Woodruff did away in the 1890s. He did away with that doctrine. What that was was that Joseph Smith was sealed up to God when he had his calling and election made sure. When people were sealed to Joseph Smith, there was a link between the heavens and the earth, between the one man who had that uh, that ordinance placed upon him by God and could seal others to himself. When he died, that was taken from the earth. It was restored in 2003 when the Father laid his physical hands upon my physical head and sealed me up into himself. So this whole thing about one man doctrine that drives me insane because people use that as some kind of thing to beat up Uh, Beat everybody up about the head Oh he's got the keys Oh he's got the keys Well I'm about to do it I guess The reason why I have the keys And I am the one man Is because when I was filled up To the father He gave me the authority To fill others up into myself Through the law of adoption Creating that link That turns the hearts of the children To the hearts of the father's and the mothers in heaven. And Peter had the authority. Joseph Smith had that authority. I was given that authority before I even knew what it meant. I didn't understand any of this stuff when God did this. And I didn't even understand who I was until 2013 when I was crying before the Lord And God came to me and he said, kneel down before me and ask me who you are. At that point, he showed me who I am, why I was called, what authority I have, and all of that. And he also showed another man by the name of Joshua Sparks. Joshua Sparks saw the Father lay his hands on my head. And like I was saying before, every person that God has sent to be a witness with me, to assist me, Satan has gone full bore in tearing them down. And he's tried to tear me down, too. That whole thing about the, the C-130, Satan has been trying to kill me ever since I was a child. And God has protected me through his holy hand. So I know a lot of people are like, oh, you think, you think you're this, you think you're that, you're crazy, whatever. And you can dismiss me all you want. But God doesn't dismiss me. So, and polygamy is a true doctrine. I told you, I told you on other radio programs why it's a true doctrine. And um, and this is not what I wanted to talk about tonight. I just wanted to get through the reading. But when I get sparked or triggered, I guess sometimes I need to just lay it out on the line. And thank you, Kim, for doing that for being a witness and for not falling away from me. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, it says the prophet of Qumran from Cave 4, he actually gives a very detailed account of who I am, the description of me physically, my life, a whole bunch of stuff. And he said that everybody would fall away from me. And that scares me because everybody has except for my wife and my kids. They're the only ones that have stuck around. I mean, Kevin Crow is still friends with me and I think he doesn't know what to think about me, you know, and I I have other of people who are like, Okay, well you say this and well, we'll see. And I'm grateful for them. But the people that have known like Paul.
3: Remember Paul? Oh. I sorry, I didn't know I was muted. I'm like, Yeah. And then like, why is me answering?
2: <laughs> oh, I mean, Kim could tell you guys all of these people who come, and they, they God shows them, God gives them a powerful witness of who I am and my calling, and every single one of them, Satan goes after, and he tears them down, and he—and they all fall away, and it, it causes me great discouragement but I'm going to an
3: understanding of it because I know how difficult it is like being on the earth and just the way that things are. Um, I know things can get confusing. Sometimes it's difficult. And um, I don't know, like I just know how hard it is. So I'm very like understanding, I guess, and compassionate. So I get it. There are rabbit holes that lead you different places. There are things that sidetrack you um you know there are squirrels everywhere, you know it's just, it just it leads you different places, and you just follow them and it's so difficult to stay on task, stay focused um know what it is that God wants you to do you know it it's just difficult, so I understand it um definitely well, that's another thing too.
2: Joseph Smith taught a correct principle that when God raises up a true prophet, Satan will raise up true prophets who will seem so very close to the truth that it'll be hard for the elect to know the difference. And I've seen that over and over and over. These people who claim to be prophets, who are given so much truth, but then they fall away in certain errors and they lead the the people astray as Judas goes, leading them into the, uh, the house of water. And Satan's on a campaign. He's got to work and he's doing it very efficiently. And so many people are falling away or led by these false prophets who, who Satan raises up who are so close to the truth, but they lead people astray in key points, like the fact that you know, just for the one God didn't take the Melchizedek princess from off the earth it wasn't Jesus that had to come to that temple. Jesus said, build a temple unto my name, whereby the Most High can come to other ends. That he, not Jesus, would restore the fullness of the priesthood. In order to come into the presence of the Father to receive the fullness of the priesthood, you have to have the Melchizedek Priesthood. The people, Denver Snuffer and others, are teaching this false doctrine, leading the people astray in lies. But they're so close to the truth, but they are the false prophets that Joseph Smith warned you about. Sorry, I think I'm, I'm uh, almost a horseshoe. I'm going to start breaking up again.
3: Okay, but we heard all of that. What page are we on? 200. We made it all the way to 201. <laughs> are you serious? We did one page. One yeah, page. Yeah, we're starting at 1852. Do you want me to read further? Because, I mean, it's 920 almost. Can you just reach <laughs> on
2: 930 and get a couple of pages in before we end the program for tonight?
3: Okay, mute your line. <laughs>
2: Okay, all right, muting my line.
3: 1852. Because of his knowledge on the subject, Orson Pratt was selected to introduce the revelation and the doctrine of plural marriage to the church on August 19, 1852. His special conference address was the first public sermon on the subject i think if i'm not mistaken that the constitution gives the privilege to all the inhabitants of this country of the free exercise of their religious notions and the freedom of their faith and the practice of it then if it can be proven to a demonstration That the Latter-day Saints have actually embraced as a part and portion of their religion. The doctrine of a plurality of wives, it is constitutional. And should there ever be laws enacted by this government to restrict them from the free exercise of this part of their religion, such laws must be unconstitutional. That comes from Millennial Star uh, Supporter, I believe, uh, Volume 15, page 18. Brigham Young then addressed the Saints on the same subject and called for a vote. It was accepted by the members of the church as a revelation from the Lord. Two weeks after this announcement, Orson Pratt was sent to Washington, D.C. to publicly announce it through the seer to the United States as a tenant of the LDS faith. The American public was generally against it at the outset, and from then on, opposition and persecution increased. 1853. Elder John Taylor was sent to New York to establish a newspaper called The Mormon and through its pages defended the principle and practice of plural marriage. Elder Erastus Snow was called to St. Louis to publish the St. Louis Luminary of the same purpose. And George Q. Cannon went to San Francisco to print the Western Standard. The elders in England published similar defenses in the Journal of Discourses and Millennial Star. Beginning in great secrecy, the plural marriage was now or plural marriage was now being proclaimed with great fanfare. 1855, the Mormon endowment house completed on Temple Square in 1855 was used for more than 30 years for polygamous marriage ceremonies. Um, And in the book, there's a picture of the endowment house. 1857 when the christians with all their scriptures and rebuttals failed to defeat the mormons the federal government sent out their best trained best equipped and best prepared army to put down the mormons john taylor said quote from ch the chronicle history of the church is that right chronological history of the church volume 4 page 259
4: Correlated. oh Correlated, Correlated history,
3: history of the church yes, sorry okay um That's thanks for clarifying
2: yeah, PH Roberts, okay. the one that put that together.
3: Okay. So this is a quote from that, uh, volume four, page two fifty-nine. We had men in all the camps and knew what was intended. Beauty and booty were their watchwords. We were to have another Grand Mormon conquest and our houses, gardens, orchards, vineyards, fields, wives and daughters were to be the spoils. End quote. The, uh, again, that's Correlated History of the Church, Volume 4, page 259. The Mormons received still more lessons on charity from the Christian monogamous. This anti-polygamy program cost the U.S. government $44 million, and they didn't even achieve the victory they wanted. 1862 the gentiles tried to break up the mormons with mobs with their bibles and militarized army having failed with that they now employed lawyers to make laws against them on july 8 1862 president abraham lincoln signed the moral anti-bigamy act into law it provided for a penalty of 500 dollar fine and five years imprisonment for polygamous mormons it this can incorporated the church, and limited their holdings to $50,000. The Mormons constantly tried to become a state, but were repeatedly refused. Yet during the Civil War, the U.S. government went to war against some of the other states, trying to keep them in the Union. In 1865, some Mormons thought the church should receive another revelation revoking the law of plural marriage. Brigham Young Jr. responded by saying, um, this is from Brigham Young Jr., editor, Millennial Star, Uh, volume 27 page 676 uh, on october 28 1865 quote there is no halfway house the childish babble about another revelation is only in evidence how half informed men can talk the mormons have either to spurn their religion and their god and sink self-damned into the eyes of all civilization at the moment when most blessed in the practice of their faith or go calmly on to the same issue which they have always had Mormonism in its entirety The revelation of God Or nothing at all end quote. Again from Brigham Young Jr. Editor of Millennial Star Volume 27 page 676 On October 28, 1865 1870 A number of meetings were held By several thousand women protesting The anti-polygamy Cragen and Cullum bills They wrote in Essentials in the Church History um, it's Jos Fielding. Oh, Joseph Fielding Smith, page 444. Quote: Resolve that we consider the above-named bills foul blots in our national escutcheon, absurd documents, atrocious insults, and to the honorable executive of the United States government, and malicious attempts to subvert the right of civil and religious liberty." End quote. Again, from Essentials in Church History, Joseph Fielding Smith, page 444. In 1871, Judge McKean made some absurd rulings in the naturalization of foreigners, making their belief in polygamy a test question. That's church chronology, Jensen, February 18th in 1871. Um, Also from the same church chronology, chronology, sorry, chronology, jensen december 1871 page 84 it says quote the salt lake county authorities arrested a number of prostitutes who subsequently were released by federal officials end quote such a backwards law 1872. President Brigham Young was the third district court was in the third district court, but his case was continued until March. Judge McKean refused $500,000 bail for him, and the president was again guarded in his own house by U.S. Deputy Marshals. Um, That's also from the same book, January 2nd, 1872, on page 84. In 1874, Congress passed the Poland Bill, which repealed certain Utah statutes. It partially fulfilled the clamoring of radical anti-Mormon element because it curtailed the civil and political rights of the Mormon people, giving more authority to federal judges and officers. In 1875, Judge McKean again put President Young under an indictment when One of his wives sued him for divorce and alimony. The judge was so eager for this case that he gave Anne Eliza the status of a legal wife and decided against Brigham, ordering him to pay her alimony of $10,000. When Brigham failed to pay, sentence was passed upon him on March 11, 1875, and he was sent to the Utah State Penitentiary for 24 hours. George Reynolds, the private secretary to Brigham Young, was chosen to be a test case where they could follow through with the court system to prove that plural marriage was legal under the Constitution and First Amendment. The law being tested was the 1862 bigamy law, and Reynolds voluntarily appeared in court giving himself up for trial. In spite of all the legal arguments for his defense, he was convicted and sentenced to one year in prison and a $500 fine, and appeal was then taken to the Supreme Court of the territory where it was dismissed on the ground that the grand jury which heard the indictment was an illegal jury. Reynolds was set up for another trial in 1875 when Judge Alexander White was more harsh than the previous judge sentencing him to $500 fine and two years in the penitentiary at hard labor. The Supreme Court confirmed the verdict and an appeal was taken to Washington. The ladies of Utah sent a petition having 23,626 signatures to Congress paying for the admission of Utah into the Union as a state and of the repeal of the anti-polygamy laws. That's from Church Chronology, Jensen, December 1875. In 1878, the George Reynolds test case went before the Supreme Court where the question is raised whether religious belief can be accepted as a justification of an overt act made criminal by the law of the land. That's Reynolds versus United States, page 162. But the question should have seen, can politician, it says seen, it probably means been, the question should have been, can politicians be justified in the overt act of making laws prohibiting the free exercise of religion? Under a new law, 12th Statute um, 501, plural marriage was made a crime in the territory. The humorous part was that this was done because of the evil consequences that were supposed to flow to um, from plural marriage. From the same, um, I'm sorry, that is from the same place, uh cr- church chronology jensen um, december 1875 page 168 they completely failed to look at the consequences that flowed from monogamy the right in their own front yard was the evidence they needed in 1879 at the funeral of william clayton one of joseph smith's close associates joseph f smith spoke and said this doctrine of plural marriage is one of the most important doctrines ever revealed to man without it Man would come to a full stop. Without it, we never could be exalted to associate with and become gods. Neither could we attain to the power of eternal increase. There are, however, enough witnesses to these principles to establish them upon the earth in such manner that they never can be forgotten or stamped out, for they will live, they are destined to live, and also to grow and spread abroad upon the face of the earth, to be received and accepted and adopted by all the virtuous um, by yeah, all the virtue, yeah, it says virtuous. I don't know why it doesn't say virtues. By all the pure in heart, by all who love the truth and seek to serve Him and keep His commandments, they are bound to prevail because they are true principles. That's from the Journal of Discourse, Volume 21, Page 10. In 1880, during the period of extreme and unrelenting persecutions under the anti-polygamy act of Congress, President Woodruff spent much of the time among the churches in Arizona and southern Utah. On January 26, 1880, having retired for some days in the mountains, fasting and praying, he obtained important revelations from the Lord concerning the work of the Twelve Apostles and events which would happen affecting both the church and the nations. These were submitted to President John Taylor and the Council of the Apostles and were accepted by them as profitable for doctrine, for comfort, for light, as to the future, and for encouragement in the work of the ministry. That's from so was that Imperial Era, Volume 1, page 874, 874 since the saints were suffering such perilous times because of plural marriage, this revelation of 1880 was very important to them. In it, the Lord said to them, the devil is ruling over his kingdom, and my spirit has no place in the hearts of the rulers of this nation. And the devil stirs them up to defy my power and to make war upon my saints. Therefore, let mine apostles and mine elders who are faithful obey my commandments, which are already written for their profit and guidance. As I have said in former commandments, it is not my will that mine elders should fight the battles of Zion, for I will fight your battles. This nation is ripened in iniquity, and the cup of the wrath of mine indignation is full. And I will not stay my hand in judgments upon this nation or the nations of the earth." And I say again, woe unto that nation or house or people who seek to hinder my people from the obeying the patriarchal law of Abraham, which leadeth to celestial glory, which has been revealed unto my saints through the mouth of my servant Joseph. For whosoever doeth these things shall be damned, saith the Lord of hosts, and shall be broken up and wasted away from under heaven by the judgments which I have sent forth and which shall not return unto me void. Thus saith the Lord unto you, my servants and apostles who dwell in the flesh, fear ye not your enemies. Let not your hearts be troubled. I am in your midst. I am your advocate with the Father. Revelations 1880 to 1890, uh, compiled by Kraut, pages 7 through 12. Regardless of all the laws of the land that had been po- passed against polygamy, the Lord continued to exhort, persuade, and command his people to obey his law of plural or celestial marriage. The whole question, therefore, narrows itself this to this in the Mormon mind. Polygamy was revealed by God, or the entire fabric of their faith is false. To ask them to give up such an item of belief is to ask them to relinquish the whole To acknowledge their priesthood a lie, their ordinances a deception, and all that they have toiled for, lived for, bled for, prayed for, or hoped for, a miserable failure and a waste of life. That's from the Salt Lake Telegraph, Brigham Young, Jr., 28th of October, 1880, Millennial Star, Volume 27, page 673. In 1881... Christian representatives wanted war with the Mormons. They wanted to see the Mormons killed, their property taken away and their religion wiped out. The Reverend J.H. Peters at Dayton in October 1881 said, "I would that guns of Fort Douglas were turned upon them, the Mormons," or meaning the Mormons, and they made loyal by this means if by no other. Um, That's from the previous book, um, Salt Lake Telegraph, Brigham Young, Jr., 28th of October, 1880, uh, Millennial Star, volume 27, um, page 673. Um, But instead of being the Millennial Star, I believe it's just page 482. Such were the feelings of most of the Christian people of America. They were Christians by name and Romans at heart. 1882 this year saw the passage of the Edmunds law which reads in section 1 every person who has a husband or wife living who marries more than one woman is guilty of polygamy and shall be punished by a fine of not more than $500 and by imprisonment for a term of not more than 5 years This law prohibited a polygamist from voting or holding any public office and anyone under suspect was made to sign a test oath. A few centuries before the Inquisition brought all the forces of law and imprisonment against faithful Christians. Now the Christians were imposing the same on the Mormons. They were being forced to sign a modern test oath or suffer the consequences. A portion of that oath stated, I blank as in stating your name further swear that I am not a bigamous, polygamous, or living in unlawful cohabitation or associating or cohabitating polygamously with persons of the other sex immediately following the passage of the worst law against plural marriage so far the Lord gave another revelation in support of plural marriage i.e. thus saith the Lord to the twelve and to the priesthood and the people of my church let my servants George Teasdale and Heber J. Grant be appointed to fill the vacancies in the 12 that you may be fully organized and prepared for the labors devolving upon you for you have uh, For you have a great work to perform, and then proceed to fill up the presiding quorum of 70s and assist in organizing that body of my priesthood, who are your co-laborers in the ministry. You may appoint Seymour B. Young to fill up the vacancy in the presiding quorum of the 70s if he will conform to my law, for it is not meet that men who will not abide my law, um, meaning plural marriage, shall preside over my priesthood. Revelation to John Taylor, October 13, 1882, Revelations in 1880 through 1889, Kraut, page 35. Um, the plural marriage part is in parentheses, so it's not a part of the original text that was added there by the author. Um, how interesting as the government made laws against plural marriage, the Lord reinforced his commands to obey it. There could be no compromise. John Taylor suggested that it would be well for us to keep up our coat collars and protect ourselves as best we could until the storm passed over. That comes from the life of John Taylor, B.H. Roberts, page 360 in this revelation of 1882 was a new law pertaining to plural marriage that only polygamists could preside over the priesthood in other words the monogamous should not serve as a general authority in the church other supportive information and positive statements soon followed from leading church brethren such as um, this comes from the life of wilford woodruff matthew cowley page 542 quote concerning the patriarchal order of marriage president taylor said if we do not embrace the principle that principle soon the keys will be turned against us if we do not keep the same law that our heavenly father has kept, we cannot go with him. A man obeying a lower law is not qualified to preside over those who keep a higher law. In harmony with the remarks of President Taylor Elder Woodruff observed, the reason why the church and kingdom of God cannot advance without the patriarchal order of marriage is that it belongs to this dispensation, just as baptism for the dead does, or any law or ordinance that belongs to a dispensation. Without it, the church cannot progress. The leading men of Israel who are presiding over stakes, will have to obey the law of Abraham, or they will have to resign. That's Life of Wilford Woodruff by Matthew Cowley, page 542. The following precepts for this law of marriage had now been established. Number one, men must live it, or the keys will be turned against them. If they want to go, number two, if they want to go where Heavenly Father is, they must obey it. Number three, a man living polygamy cannot preside over a polygamist. And number four, it belongs to this dispensation. Number five, the church cannot progress without it. Number six, stake presidents must live it or resign. In
2: 1885... Um, isn't it, Tim, isn't it uh, somebody who's living monogamy cannot preside over a polygamist?
3: Yes, a man living monogamy cannot preside over a polygamist. Sorry, did I say that backwards? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. All right. Yep, that's true. Um, How many pages did you want me to read? Um, what year are you
2: on right now?
3: I'm on 1885.
2: Oh, you're good then. That's good.
3: Um, I'm, um, I'm exactly where it says place. 1885 and then, um, it's on page 211. Okay. I have and, to mute myself
2: for a second, but I
1: did want to say something. We just got to jump out of the truck for a minute.
3: Okay. That's fine. I, um, heard... Arius coming up the stairs, and he is ready for bed. He was probably wondering why I am not. <laughs> um. Yeah, now I feel like it's just going to be some dead air for a minute.
0: I'm
2: sorry, Kim. i I am at the place
1: where I'm dumping, and I'm actually on the Grizz right now.
2: And nobody oh. knows what channel we're supposed to be on or what we're supposed to do because I've only been here once before, and nobody knows anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so I did want to say something. Um, so I get these monogamists who are fundamentalists who believe in polygamy and they yell at me about how I'm not a polygamist. And how dare I preside or be the one that God chose because I couldn't possibly be the one my being strong uh, because I'm not a polygamist. Um, real quick, Kim doesn't like this, but um, I was filled to another woman before I met her, uh, President yeah. Hinkley's great niece. And her family didn't like me because I wasn't educated. I was a lowly truck driver, and they all <sighs> – it was a bad situation. But I was with her, and I was married to her, um, still to her in the, salt, or no, the Bountiful Temple. And um, it is what it is, you know. She uh, decided that she wanted to do her own thing, and she left. Um, A lot of because her family didn't like me. And she listened to them more than she listened to me. So um, I was foreordained to be with three different women before Kim. And each of them decided to do their own thing. (laughs) And um, hold on here gonna make sure this coal is going down
1: here. And it's not. So I'm gonna reset this. Hopefully it works.
3: I am going to be um
4: oh, away from the
3: phone for okay. a minute. <laughs> okay? Okay. Um all right, that's fine.
1: And I'm sorry everyone, I'm doing my job. But um
2: okay, so uh and Kim could talk about this too a little bit, but we know that okay. So every single one of us, we have something called soulmates. All soulmates are is when you are the entire when you're in the state of intelligence before you become a spirit. Um, you are both feminine and masculine. When, according to the revelation and vision that God showed me. When you become self-aware, that feminine and that masculine separate and you become two spirits, one, one male and one female. The, uh, the counterpart to, you know, the masculine or the counterpart to the feminine is your soulmate. And if everything was perfect, you'd always be together. But everything isn't perfect. There was a war in heaven, and there's other reasons why people get separated. I was with my soulmate. I knew her. I was engaged to her. Her family didn't like me. Um, They liked me all the way up until I stood against the father, who was being extremely abusive to this woman that I was uh, engaged to, And I won't go into the details, but I stood to defend her and protect her. And because of Stockholm Syndrome, I believe, um, they forced her to give me the ring back. And then she was going to be with me anyway, but then she had this revelation from Satan where her aunt came to her, her dead aunt came to her through a medium who was a woman who was a member of the church in Moses Lake, Washington. And this woman proceeded to tell my fiancé lies um, in a way that that she basically was torn away from me. And um, it's kind of funny because she eventually got married to a man who's from Wellington, Utah, which is a place that I'm about to drive through. Um, but I don't know him uh, at all. I just know who he is. But I don't know him personally. Anyway, so, but I was supposed to be with her. I was also supposed to be with Rebecca. And we were married in the Bountiful Temple in Stilt, and stilled. And now I was supposed to be with another woman. Whose name is Janelle, and uh, the things just didn't work out. Because God knew that I had to be married and had to have children by the time my ministry started, He made an agreement with me and with my wife Kimberly and with her soulmate, and I won't say his name, that I would, that she would be with me at these other. Um, Marriages or sailings did not work out. That's why Kim, Kimberly and I are together. That's why our story is so interesting. Um, we are very good friends with soulmate. In fact, he is the the uh, correctly ordained bishop of the Church of the Living Messiah and the School of the Prophets, which is the organization that God told me to organize in 2013. Um, we're very much a part of his life. He's very much a part of ours. He is still to another woman. Yeah, I'm dumb. And it just is its the way it has to be right now. Um, we're still open to polygamy. Yes, one of these women that I was foreordained with are, are will ever come back. Now, right before, in May of 2006, uh, was when I got married and sealed to Rebecca. I was told right before, like a month before we got sealed, that she would not be with me for very long, but that we would eventually be together again somehow. And I wasn't given very, I wasn't given any details really on it. Um, I didn't understand why I was being told that. I thought one of us was gonna die because I couldn't foresee what would happen, which did happen where we were separated and divorced. Um, and it makes me sad, you know. But um, And she's still single. I do keep track of her. I know she doesn't like that. I don't contact her or bother her. But she was my wife and we are still. So these people, these monogamists that I'm specifically speaking of, who are like, you can't possibly be because you're supposed to, and no, no monogamist can preside over a polygamist or whatever. All these, these man-made doctrines that they made up in the Brighamite church. Um, I don't know what to tell you. God, God chose me from before the foundation of this earth, and people have free agency to do as they please. I don't have any way to control them and I wouldn't control these women if I want, or if I if I could, I still wouldn't, because that's that's against God's law. That's against who he is, that's against who I am. So um, Kim and I are only open to plural celestial marriage if uh, yes, God brings somebody into our family and we both get revel all three of us actually have to get revelation that is consistent with each other uh, before we would even consider anything, uh, but we're open to it. Um, now, when Kim was reading, I wanted to say one more thing before we close out the program. Um, and we don't have any callers, so I'm not worried about that right now. Floral celestial marriage being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise and the law of adoption are the three most important things for people to receive their exaltation. Mostly being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise and being sealed by the law of adoption. So Satan has done everything in his power to destroy in every single way that he can. But I know that these things are true principles. And people who find excuses or reasons why they're not true principles. I don't know what to tell you because I know that they're true. And I know it by revelation, not speculation. And I understand it because God showed me the reason for the importance of these things, which I've talked about before. So with all that being said, I'm just going to leave it at that. Kim, is there anything else that you wanted to say? I know that she was uh, going to see what the deal is with the baby. We have a one-year... He'll be two in June, but um, she might be busy doing that right now. And, uh, oh, my... uh, It's so stupid. I've got this... um, Hold on. You know what? I'm just going to leave it at that. We'll be back on tomorrow... And we'll read from 1885 till whatever we get done. And uh, thank you for listening to the program. Take care, everyone. God bless. And goodbye.